No one wants to be marginalized anymore. This might seem like an obvious statement, and yet it's kind of a new phenomenon. There used to be groups of radicals and revolutionaries who, because of their gender or sexuality or race or religion, understood they were marginalized, but took one look at the dominant culture, this sick, consumerist, capitalist culture, and said, fuck this, I'm going to go do something else. But now, the primary function of so-called radical groups and demographics is to fight for inclusion into the culture as it already exists, not to create alternative ways of being. Feminists want CEO jobs. Gays want marriage, etc. Rather than breaking apart institutions, they are supporting them. Enzo Traverso, in his new book, Left-Wing Melancholia, distinguishes between the bohemian and the dandy. The bohemian is the negator of bourgeois culture. She is the experimenter and the thought leader. The dandy is just fucking around, dressing up in different outfits and pretending that by changing a label, she is changing the world. Like, let's say, most feminists, who pretend that because a woman is doing something that was traditionally done by a man, this is somehow interesting or important. The following conversation with Bruce Benderson, a true bohemian and chronicler in novels and nonfiction of the bohemian spirit, who knows a fucking dandy when he sees one, is centered around the missing spinster, or at least that's where it started. In film, in the world, why are all women now supposed to have it all? Why do they all have to be sexually, financially, romantically fulfilled? Why is the romantic love the end-all and be-all of a woman's storyline? And how does that storyline in film affect us in real life, as far as hijacking our imagination of how we are supposed to live our lives? But it spirals outward from there to ask an essential question. Why did the range of roles for women actually decrease with the rise of feminism? Has feminism actually limited options for women? By releasing them into the culture, rather than creating space outside the culture, did feminism shut down more doors than opening them up? For me, the answer is a clear yes. A few years ago, Bruce published a pamphlet called Against Marriage, so you can probably guess where he stands on this too. But he's been an important figure for those of us who would rather accept our marginalization than fight for acceptance. I asked him to come on to talk about dames and old films, but the conversation kind of moved on from there. So I wanted to start with something that you said last time I interviewed you, um, which is about the disappearance of the spinster in films. Because or the um, grandmother or the grandmother or any no. sort of like non-sexualized older woman figure. Yes, so you it. can have an older woman in film, like Susan Sarandon or Helen Mirren, but only if you want to fuck her. Um, there's does somebody. Does some, <laughs> I feel like every. Yeah, they maybe, do. I, that was a joke. Yeah, but no, I think it's more coming from the sexualization of Helen Mirren and so on. It happens more from women. 
or who are always talking, you know, feminist blogs are like, oh, she looks so good. She looks so, you know, she looks so fit. How does she keep her figure? Yeah. Rather than a sort of um, male sexual response. Um, but I find it weird women sexualizing other women in, in that particular way. Oh, how weird. That's in feminist blogs about how fit they look? Yeah, and how good Susan Sarandon looks, you know. Um, and it, maybe it's because so much of women's culture is aspirational. Like we, well, that's interesting. We hope to be fucked in our 70s, too. To, I don't know why anybody would want that to be happening still uh, in, in <laughs> that, well, at that point. I mean, you know, for women. With a lot of KY. Women, yeah. Probably be okay. <laughs> It'll work out, man. <laughs> um, but surely, uh, the, you know, someone would want to break from it. Um, but so much of women's culture is aspirational. We want we we want these gotcha. figures to be who we hope to be in that era, and that's you know we want like a tiny waist and our tits to not be um, saggy. Saggy, yeah. right? Well. If if I can backtrack a little bit, yeah, sorry. why I no, no, it's fine. It's interesting. What why I why I came up with this idea is I'm very much a film nut, and I noticed that there was a certain kind of woman who appeared in films of the 20s, 30s, 40s, and the beginning of the 50s, who was a highly respected figure and often had a major role, and sometimes was the the main role of the film, especially if it was Ethel Barrymore. She was not sexual anymore. Um, she generally had quite a bit of weight and she wore her corset and all that stuff. You know, a little aside, I noticed that um, old, older and old women in the films of those years, they either weren't wear, wearing bras or they were wearing chest flatteners. Hmm. Did you ever notice that? No, I've never. They just have these breasts that you can sort of see the outline down, you know, way down near their waist. But anyway, I'm losing my point. So these women were intelligent. They were wise. You came to them when you were in trouble for advice. And they were distinctly non-sexual. They were grandmothers. Sometimes they were maiden aunts. Uh, other times they were college professors. Um, but the one thing about them was that they were not playing the sexual game. Mm -hmm. Now, you have women the same age, which I guess you can't really compare because people live longer now. But it is people, you know, these women were in their 60s and 70s. So we're talking about people like Susan Sarandon, Jane Fonda, who, you know, go to the gym, think of themselves as sexual beings, um, are supposed to be thought of as sexual beings, and you, this 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 much wiser figure who's not looking for anything, right? Who's who's lived her life and is completely happy in her role, has completely disappeared. And with these sexualized women, you, I mean, how many films have I seen in which the mother of the son is competing with the son's bride? Yes, yes, there've been. For example, yeah. it's always Jane Fonda. I feel like it's always Jane Fonda who's who's the. That's yes. one of them. Yeah. yeah. Or or um, the older man that the daughter is dating ends up going for the mother. That's another one I saw. Yeah. 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 God. I, I wish I could remember the name of it. Something's so something's got to give. Yeah. He, is that what it is? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, from the peanut gallery there, an yeah. invisible voice. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, so th that's fine. Um, I became really intrigued by these people. 
mostly because I had a very old mother. She was old enough to be my grandmother, and she was sort of wise uh, and not so sexual by the time I came around. I was born in her mid-40s. Um, and, and I thought, why can't I find that kind of intelligence, that kind of charisma, that kind of lack of uh, ego, um, that, that subtle quality uh, in women now? And when I thought it out, I decided that, unfortunately, I think it's a, it's a byproduct of feminism. Yes. When feminism started saying a woman is strong or a woman is independent, that meant that she uh, needed no one for every single quality, and they forgot to subtract the qualities that had to do with young women and allow a woman to be... The, the, mo the feminist model is a premenopausal woman, I think. Yes. It's, it is weird how feminism has, in some ways, narrowed the opportunities or roles a woman can play. Now, I think, I think part of that is this emphasis on um, women should have it all, like this idea that yeah. women should have it all, as if, uh, and there's something wrong with you if there's certain parts of that that you don't want. Yes. Like if you don't want romance, it used to be you could go fuck off into the church. It used to be that you could kind of um, live as a spinster. There were roles available to you that are no longer available because now you're supposed to... Um, be redeemed by love. Uh, yeah, you're still yeah. supposed to live the way a young woman lives. Yes, and, you, and yes. there's no other. I mean, what what irony that feminism narrowed roles for women rather than increased them, and and part of the problem with that I think is because um, uh, it moved in the wrong direction. It wanted to give women a lot of the um, uh, things that men had, a lot of the qualities that men had. So. Uh, instead of saying, let's feminize men and talk about how wonderful the feminine spirit is, how it has to do with generosity, how it has to do with lack of ego, how it has to do with tenderness, it like went in the other direction and mm -hmm. had these women playing football and, you know, um, cutting off cocks in business and, you know, everything, you know, competitive and everything I particularly hate about masculinity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's sort of um, uh, presented as a feminist victory when um, women were allowed to be in combat or uh, when, uh, you know, the fight now is for representation of female superheroes in films. Like, yeah. yeah. Like that's, that's how we've decided to expand the idea of who a woman can be. A woman can also be violent and... and, um, and I know. Yes, yes. Um, I'm going to see Atomic Blonde on Friday with Charlize Theron. I'm interested in that, but I'm a little um, okay. So what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for the 4D. That's why I'm going. Okay. I'm interested in the technology. Oh, okay. Um, well, she's a kind of interesting figure. I think in, so. In the sense of like Mad Max, I think was actually doing something different. But with what about the Monster? Idea. Monster is um, is amazing. Um, so you tell tell me about Monster. Well, I loved Monster um, uh, because it was somebody who, you know, had, who was courageous enough to really go against an appealing image. I mean, she destroyed her looks. She gained 
30 or 40 pounds. Um, they, they made her face look like it had acne scars. She wore different teeth over her own teeth. She completely uglified herself mm-hmm. for a realistic portrayal. And um, it wasn't just the way she looked, though. It came, like, from deep inside. And I always wondered why, but yesterday I read an article about her, and it turns out that she grew up in uh, South Africa, and her father was a violent alcoholic, and he came home with his brother one night, and they were both drunk, and he pulled out a gun, and he said he was going to shoot her mother, and her mother pulled out a gun and shot the father, and he died and wounded the father's brother. So that's the basis, maybe, of all of this. That's how she can access the violence and, you know, the anger, maybe. I am interested in women who are willing to step into an ugly space. Me too. Um, And it doesn't seem like a a huge, um, and not in the way of like Nicole Kidman wearing a slightly funny nose in order to be Virginia Woolf, but an actual sort of um, ugliness. I was watching um, The Heiress for like the 80,000th time. Oh, I've seen it 80,000 times too. And it seemed like um, Olivia uh, de Havilland was actually sort of understood what it's like to be an ugly woman in the way that, like, in a, in a modern film, if you want um, a woman to be kind of, um, to represent ugliness, like, they just don't do, they don't put concealer under the eyes and they, they kind of, like, they don't, she doesn't wash her hair for two days and she yeah. maybe wears, like, a um, like a heavy sweatshirt or something. Or they give her a pair of glasses. Right. And it doesn't, that's not how an ugly girl occupies space in the world. Well, what about Betty Davis at the beginning of Now Voyager? Yeah. She's pretty ugly there. Yeah. But yeah, again. It's the transformation that's ridiculous into a beautiful woman. Yeah. But I think that's the thing is like, if we are actually thinking of examples of um, this exploration of of ugliness, um, we have to think of movies 50 years ago. In the 60s. Right, other than bit, yeah. like Jen- Jennifer Aniston sort of gaining 10 pounds for uh, a role and uh, being heralded as, you know, so brave. She's yeah. so brave to put on those <laughs> 10 pounds. <laughs> yeah. But I wish Charlize, I could say no. the same about myself. But, um. <laughs> but Charlize does seem um, like one of the few uh, actresses um, in Mad Max um, and in Monster and in a couple other roles to to occupy a kind of um, ugly space. Yeah, she can do that. Who else can do that? Uh, what about people that are ugly and that became famous? Um, there are some. I know there are. Um, I have to go back to the 60s and think of that um, uh, that that uh, young woman who was in A Taste of Honey. She was, like, deeply plain-looking, mm-hmm. and they exploited that. Who else? Who now? I can't think of anybody. I f- and I feel like, especially when I watch TV, it's like I'm watching anime somehow. Like every every sort of young woman has this very sort of similar bland face with yeah. the exaggerated big eyes, exaggerated big lips, the huge lashes. Mm-hmm. And there's no character to their faces. They're I agree. interchangeable. And what's me. the new long hair thing? Is there a new long hair thing? Yes, every woman in the world suddenly has long hair. Oh, well, it's, you 15 know. years ago, every woman in the world had short hair like that skater. Men, men, we're told that men like that, so. Do they? Yeah, well, I don't know. Why wouldn't you know? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done enough testing. That's hard to believe. <laughs> 
I, you know, I have it now. I have the long hair now, but nobody's uh, vocalized a preference. Well, you've got to use, you know, thickeners and... Yeah, like the know. extensions. And, yeah. Yeah, it's not just like your own hair anymore. It's, it's, it's like a modern version of the Farah look. Yeah, but yeah. but it's... it's um, Outsourced to uh, I hate the it. Hair is outsourced. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, um, in particular, about romance, it was somehow easier when we knew what we were up against. It was somehow easier when we saw marriage as a contract that we were obligated to be in. Yes. Now I that agree. we can choose. Is it the, just the anxiety of freedom now that we can organize our lives in any possible way? Is it just it, it creates a sense of anxiety about living I don't, like I don't an think asshole? that's it. I don't what think you it? can organize your lives in any possible way. I think there are very rigid categories that a woman has to choose from. There are only about three of them. Mm-hmm. You can be like a, a steely executive who came to New York as a young woman and did want to also get married but sort of got lost on her career and somehow doesn't attract men anymore mm-hmm. except in the boardroom. But it, it, maybe she, you know, she has affairs but never ends up with a stable relationship. Or you can uh, be a conventional married person or you could be two bohemian couples living together without getting married only year, uh, as each year passes it gets more like a marriage. I mean I don't think there are that many choices. I think there are less choices for women. Let me tell you about my mother. Yes. <laughs> uh, like I said, she was, old, she was born in December 1903. She was old enough to be my grandmother. She was 46 when I was born. Mm-hmm. And um, she, uh, in many ways, was a conventional woman, but she was also the first feminist. She became a politician. And after she became a politician, she became a social activist in the city of Syracuse. She became the most well-known woman in Syracuse in the world of you know, social scientists and politics. Uh, um, she supported Shirley Chisholm for president, a black president, female president. She's a very conventional in many ways, but she had two completely full lives. She had a family life and she had a professional life. Mm-hmm. And um, she um, ha- was charismatic and effective um, in both. And somehow, I hate to say this, but the reason she was able to do that is because she believed in family life. Otherwise, she would have just been an arid professional. Mm. Hmm. I mean, my mother was a housewife. Mm. And, and and I came from such a traditional background of the, the father as the provider. And, and then the whole point of doing anything is to, as a woman, is to just be a wife and a mother. But my mother did all of that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But my mother had no sense of, like, um, that there was any other option even not just in a career sense because you know it was a very small town and there weren't you know, if you weren't a farmer there weren't a huge amount of jobs for you um but were, were they farmers like, yeah well no my father ran a pharmacist but the whole town was um your father was the pharmacist in a small yeah. farm town yes yes what were those farm boys like <laughs> uh they were pretty bad um a lot of them are in jail now mm. um so but not bad in an, like a sexy interesting way just mm. bad in like a in kind of a you know unwashed unwashed kind of way i mean we did produce some wholesome corn fed tall strapping men um but uh you know i i, 
I kept my legs closed until I got out of there. <laughs> so you never the, got a taste of the criminal element either. No, the deep fear of That's getting what stuck I and pregnant in, in rural oh, Kansas right, yeah. is just, you know, it's yeah. terrifying. It's very motivating for abstinence. Well, there were abortions then, weren't there? Not, not in rural Kansas, man. Really? Yeah, not and not with conservative family. I mean, how would I get to an abortion? Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. You probably had a lot of abortions later. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. You, you project a lot of uh, libido. When did the restriction of women's roles start, and why? I mean. Obviously, there was in a kind film. Of a, you mean? Yeah, in film. Well, I really think it was. It, it's almost timed perfectly with feminism. But uh, there were still a few left in the '60s. By the '70s, there's not a one, and no one wants to see them, and they're not considered interesting. Now, I have to say that all of these old dames, as I call them in film, were the, theatrically trained. Okay, so maybe that's what made them more interesting than they would have been later on if they hadn't had a theater experience. But there were so many of them. I wish I had my list with me. I think I do actually on my phone. But well, what I just realized we were talking that like the queen of all of them, the icon of that kind of woman is Marie Dressler, Mm -hmm. who even as a young woman was pretty much vastly overweight and was an incredibly versatile actress. She could do comedy, which she often did, but not only comedy. Um, And she was, you know, she could do anything. And you always respected her, even when you were laughing at her. And then the women, the film The Women, one of my favorite, not very feminist films, (laughs) has at least two wonderful women in them. And Lucille Watson, who plays the mother of the woman whose husband, you know, has left her for Joan Crawford, is, is really a great example of that. She's no nonsense. She's wise. Her life is disciplined. She's not unhappy. And her daughter is not taking her advice, and she will suffer for it. Uh, and you just respect her immediately, and every time she's on the screen, you're vastly entertained. Uh, then there's Mary Bolin in the same film. You don't exactly um, respect her. <laughs> Um, but she's one of the best comics that, that ever existed, and she's so funny in this film. Uh, she's overweight, too. She plays a woman who's been divorced about 18 times and always marries prince, a prince or a count or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, by the end of the film, has married a singing cowboy who begins to have an affair with Joan Crawford, and she's humiliated. Um, the, the only the only uh, way I can think in which this character survived was in a black actress, and that was Ethel Waters in Member of the Wedding, where she's not sexualized for two reasons. She's older and heavier, but she's also black, and the other people in the film are white, but she's incredibly wise, incredibly nurturing. She has the virtue of patience. Uh, She's uh, Bible trained, mm-hmm. and um, that's actually the latest example I can think of that kind of woman. Yeah, I think that um, that role has somehow, if it has survived in any way, it's like the sassy, overweight friend, uh, you know, in romantic oh, yeah. comedies or whatever. Yeah. But usually they're so slutty. And they're um, not that wise. Either. Yeah, they're not that wise. They're kind of stupid. They have terrible advice. They're bitter. Yeah. Yeah. And probably envious of the pr- of their well, prettier. Well, th- that's a later example of one that always exists, like the Eve Arden role, the mm-hmm. wisecracking uh, 
Yeah. Sidekicks. She says things like when Joan Crawford's daughter and uh, Mildred Pierce has misbehaved, she goes, now I know why alligators eat their young. You know, she has wonderful <laughs> um, comeback lines. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about what you said about uh, the women not being a very feminist film. And I hate that so much of our pop culture now is judged on that level of if a movie is feminist or not, or if a movie is uh, is racist or not. These the sort of, um, it's not quotas, but it, it's definitely this sense of women cannot be portrayed now in a, in a negative light, or they can't be complicated fuck-ups. So you're talking about contemporary films, yeah, not the way have, older ones are judged. Yeah, no, they, uh, the oh. contemporary film now, they, now it's a conversation about is this film feminist or is this film not feminist. I don't find that a useful or even interesting designator. It's art. It shouldn't be feminist. I, I agree with you, but I have felt guilty about feeling that way, but I do agree with you. <laughs> do you want to expand? Well, you can say it easier than me because you're a woman. Yes, that's true. Yeah, but um, it's not that interesting, feminism, because, I mean, for one thing, I, what I always thought about feminism is it made a certain point, and ever since it made that point, that point has been researched and expanded, and more and more examples of it have been given in history and in literature, and like, okay, I get it already. I mean, I'm not learning anything new from a feminist perspective. No, the... It, I, to me, it stopped at second wave. To me, nothing useful came uh, past that point. I agree. Um, because they were kind of experimenting with um, how do we uh, create something that's different from what we have right now? Like, how do we create uh, communes? How do we create a woman-owned bank? How do we create, yeah. you know these different sort of structures and create the infrastructure for um, different kind of lives. Mm -hmm. And now it's just about surviving within the structure that already exists. Now it's about success and, and so Well, on even so worse forth. than that, the, the, the direction that I've just mentioned from which they turned. I mean, um, I don't think it's progress to say, hey, now I'm a banker, now I'm a lawyer, now I'm a judge. I mean, those people are evil usually. <laughs> yes. I, I got into an argument with a woman last night uh, who... Uh, it's so bourgeois is what it it's is. It's so bourgeois. Yeah. And she was, she was saying, you know, is, well, isn't it good that a woman can now become CEO of a company? Uh, isn't it feminist? Hasn't feminism allowed this to happen? I was like, yes, feminism has allowed this to happen. And I'm horrified by that. <laughs> absolutely agree. horrified that feminism didn't destroy corporate culture rather than just putting fucking women CEOs. I felt the same thing about gays in the military. I yeah. felt like, oh, allow gays to be in the military so they can do bad too? How about gays petitioning to reduce or end the military? Wouldn't that be a lot more useful? Yes. But that brings us to another subject because there is, uh, maybe I shouldn't mention it, but there is one group of people who are embracing conventional bourgeois f uh, feminist uh, uh, lifestyle and manner, and those are um, among the transsexual population. Well, I don't think that it's unique 
to any population. I feel like everybody has, right? Well, but it didn't used to be them. In my day, way back when, when I was young and living in San Francisco, if you want, thought you were a woman, if you were, if you were cisgendered male, as they now say, yeah. and thought you were a woman, you just sort of like dressed up like a woman and acted like a woman. And because you believed you were a woman, that's all you needed, especially if you were surrounded by a bunch of friends who treat you like a woman. Now there's this horrible dependency upon all of these uh, evil bourgeois institutions, mostly the medical uh, profession. They need th hundreds of thousands of dollars to be a woman. And what kind of a woman do they want to be? The most conventional looking woman you can imagine, wearing the most conventional secretarial um, business suit. Um, what happened to the um, the marginal and bohemian way of that's not smashing gender, that's right. just bringing another population into the convention, and that really bothers me because. But those people, yeah. those trans still exist. They absolutely still exist. But I feel like there is a sort of in the way that there's a mediagenic um, feminist. There's like these pre very pretty. Um, late 20s, early 30s, feminist, usually blonde, um, who are trotted out onto TV or into newspaper op-eds to talk about, you know, whether or not Wonder Woman is a feminist film or whether or not... Um, Please don't uh, put down I Love blonde. Dick is, is... I'm blonde. <laughs> I'm blonde. <laughs> I say it with love. Um, but they... But, like, they're really blonde. Um, but... Uh, what was I saying? Right. So yeah, but nobody's platinum anymore. That really bothers me. I know. Me. Yeah. I try to be platinum. Yeah. Now everybody has like highlights. Ugh. Yeah. Um. But there is like this very visible, um, sort of uh, self-elected representation of a culture, and those are the people who can assimilate. Yes. Um, because they present themselves as uh, they want to present themselves as non-threatening, so they mimic the uh, larger culture, and that in itself kind of erases the wild experimentation that's happening on the margins. Because it a makes you think that it doesn't exist, and then b makes you think that if you are um, uh, a feminist or you're gay or trans or whatever, that that's how you're supposed to. Be. Yes. I think that the assimilation is um, of certain people who want ambition and power is much more dangerous than, than any sort oh, of. Oh boy, I couldn't agree group. more. But the way that it used to be, there were people who did everything possible to pass as a conventional woman when they um, transitioned, right? Mm -hmm. But almost all of them were either lower middle class or almost street class, yeah. right? And I always thought of it as, well, you know, they're not very educated. They can't think of an original kind of women. You know, they watch TV and they're trying to imitate Virginia Slims. And, mm -hmm. But most of the ones I knew were, were two steps from the street in San Francisco were like that. All the others who came from an educated or middle class background were wildly transsexual, like this group, the Coquettes, that I used to hang out with who, you know, would cut a hole in a 30s evening gown and let their dick hang out and put glitter on it or, or you know, completely dressed as a woman but had a beard. Um, that's that's gone. I mean, mm -hmm. you say it still exists, but it, it hardly exists I mean, it doesn't exist in, in the same form. But yeah. I would, bl I'm, I blame, not feminism, but I kind of blame women for 
narrowing ourselves for not fighting against this um well, what about men the men are doing oh this. well the men are terrible caitlin jenner yeah i mean i really <laughs> liked um uh i really liked writers like kate bornstein who wrote about how that is actually really complicated um and she had like a falling out with with Caitlyn Jenner, um, like a huge Center Public one, because Caitlyn yeah. Jenner's like. I didn't no get nuance. along with her, Kate Bornstein. Oh, really? She likes Audrey Hepburn, and <laughs> I like Joan Crawford, and that was the end of it. <laughs> What's wrong with Audrey? <laughs> well, I mean, I like a Audrey lot now. Of... I just don't like Kate as Audrey. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I do feel I I I I feel weird about where women are. And I feel like women like to blame men for where we are. But really, this was, we sacrificed ourselves. Like, we did this I to agree. ourselves at this point. Like, I agree. Yeah. But men, they're horrid, too. They're so, so yeah. bad. Yeah. It's hard to say what it's hard to say what everybody is. I mean, identity at this point in history, I think we're sleepwalking in our identities. We don't know who we are. And for some reason, more than ever in history, we don't do not know who we are. We do not know what our real gender is, what our real desire is. And uh, uh, the men are just as bad as the women. Yes. Um, And so everyone's sort of floating around um, looking for um, surface um, signs so that they can create a world for themselves. And they're not succeeding at it. I mean, it's almost like you're anesthetized in today's culture. Don't you feel that way? I do feel that way. And it feels like um, film and TV and so on is reinforcing this rather than... I I always thought that film was supposed to present different possibilities. Not just reflect reality, but give you an idea of something else that you could do. I mean, that's the whole point. Well, of popular film, but yeah. there's an enormous amount of independent film now that's doing really weird things. You know how I yeah. know? How do you know? I have the Amazon Prime Fire Stick. <laughs> and there's so many thousands of films that eventually you run into one, you can't even believe it exists. It's so weird and so original. So like there what? is a lot of that doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I? What was one that I just recently saw? We're going to have that memory problem again, but let me think. Oh, I think it was from Spain, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was about everyone in the film had a horrible uh, deformation, a physical deformation. And one of the main characters, it was a very shy young woman, uh, maybe a 20-year-old woman, and her mouth was where her ass should be, and her asshole was where was where her mouth should be. So when she went to a restaurant to eat, she had to like stick a tube up her ass, which was really her mouth, and suck it out of you know she could only do liquids. And um, in the end, someone falls in love with her. Oh, um, but there were, she was just one of many. Grotesque. Everyone in the every character, all nine characters were that, um, and it was beautifully done. I mean, um, it was cruel, and at the same time, uh, there was something tender about it, and it was gorgeously filmed. What's the name of it? Well, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Yeah, I just Google with f- that. <laughs> <laughs> that description. Yeah. There can't be a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. But that's one of many I've seen like that that mm-hmm. are just probably go directly into, you know. Yeah. DVD or file. Yeah. I've seen amazing films lately, one after another. But that's all I do. Uh, you know, I have 
more than 2,000 films on hard drives. Yeah. I mean, coming from, like, uh, you know, as a, as a book critic, I definitely don't see um, that much experimentation or idea of a, of a different... Every, every sort of... If there's a lonely or a single woman at the beginning of the book, she's going to end up in a oh, relationship at yeah. the end of Writing it. Or, is horrible. Know, yeah, it's horrible. But maybe there's a young person here who can explain this. <laughs> Um, uh, I can't remember his name. I think I keep blocking it, but he's part of a whole school of writing. His name is an Asian name, and it's this school of writing where all they do to describe the most banal, basic events of their life. I got up. I tried to take a shit, but I was constipated. I went and waited 15 minutes for the subway. Uh, an old lady looked like she would fall, so I did go, uh, give her my seat, but I didn't want to, and it just goes on like that. Oh, is that Tao Lin that you're yeah. thinking of? Yes. That's yes. who. What is that all about? I don't get it at all. I don't get it either. I find it. Um, what is the beauty of it? Is he ca- there's no beauty in it. People think he's capturing some kind of basic reality without romanticizing or idealizing it. But is what's the it? point of that? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I don't know. So in this idea that we're all supposed to be redeemed by love and there's an inevitable coupledom awaiting us that we're all destined to uh, fall into. Uh, what does that do to the culture? I mean, it seems like marriage is sort of be- because of the efforts of the campaign for marriage equality uh, has gained strength rather than has become. Um, well, I, I, I hate it because it's expanding the ranks of the married and I always thought that that was an extremely conservative and extremely specious uh, um, convention. And in the 60s and 70s, it was breaking up because people didn't believe in marriage anymore. Now a whole new group, gay people, gay and lesbian people, have the opportunity to marry, and everybody is celebrating that. But what I think that's going to do is two things. It's going to further marginalize those who are not married. They always were marginalized. Right. The, the spinster Anne of a family, the strangely unmarried uncle, were you know taking care of the family and brought on vacations. And they didn't have to be all alone. They were invited to Thanksgiving, but they were second-class citizens. Now, for a gay guy not to be married, mm-hmm. will, he will be twice as marginalized as he was before marriage was legalized for gays. What's wrong with him? Why isn't he taking advantage of this uh, uh, wonderful opportunity? So um, that's one thing that I think marriage is going to do, but the other thing is even more morbid. And I think that in the case of gay men, they are, I I can say this because I'm one, but they are hiding a lot of things about themselves and their lifestyle from the straight community because Every gay man I know, even ones that have been together a long time, have open marriages and enjoy promiscuity. Now, can you imagine a nice suburban community where the liberal neighbors accept this gay couple into their circle and the woman goes shop, uh, shopping with the man who takes care of his children and they collaborate in birthday parties? And one day she's driving to school to pick up her 14-year-old son and she notices that he seems to have stopped somewhere on the way to school to pick up his son, and where he stopped is a peep show. 
because he wants a quick blowjob, which is a very normal thing in the gay community. I mean, everybody does stuff like that. And she will be absolutely devastated, and she will feel betrayed, and she will go, we thought they were like us, and we generously accepted them. And they're going to find out that gay men, at least, not all of them, but mm -hmm. a good percentage, are not like them, and they're going to... And they're going to think that that's disruptive to their community. And I think there's going to be a backlash. I'm morbid, aren't I? But I really believe No, I, I, I believe, I, I don't think, I don't look at the sort of um, situation as it exists now and think that uh, this sort of conservative um, mainstream culture has become more accepting. They are only accepting people that resemble them. Yes. They're slightly um, redefining who will they will accept in the sense of like... And they mistakenly okay. think these people resemble them. Yes. But also it's just this notion of um, people are not... People are not getting more accepting and open. And also they use the word tolerant, which I hate because that it, it's like a burden or job for them. Tolerant. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm tolerating your existence. Right. And it's tolerant right. as long as you follow their rules and their conventions and they can believe that you're exactly like them and raising your children the way they're raising them and uh, being faithful to each other in the way they're being faithful. And when they see how much better time you're having, they're not going to be happy. It seems like we're either reluctant to or incapable of looking at relationships through a political lens anymore. They, yeah. sure, we, we did the shit out of that in the second wave um, of looking at marriage as an institution. But now it's not an institution. It's an individual choice. Yes. And it's a right. Yes. As well. That should be fought for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it was such a mistake not to campaign f uh, for the abolish to abolish marriage and um, to institute domestic partnerships, contracts that protect property, you know, in wills, mm -hmm. right to visit when a person's in the hospital and all the things that gays were complaining about. They could have had all of them without getting married. And maybe that example would have um, uh, shed some light on the specious, hypocritical quality of marriage in general. Yes. So how do we... I mean, I do think that marriage, even if you think, oh, I'm, I'm, I, it's the same relationship and I'm still the same, you know, I, yeah. I do think this is something about marriage and the, and the wedding ceremony and, and the whole symbolic thing about it that does, um, does make you more conservative. I mean, they've, even, they've even done studies about um, unmarried women sort of vote the most uh, liberal slash radical married women <laughs> – um, are much more conservative and married men are the most conservative of all because they, they have property that they want to pass down. Yes, but the other thing is the need to protect a family and to protect children. That leads to all kinds of conservative gestures. The block society, which is essentially like a, a lynch mob, <laughs> um, you know, cleaning up Times Square, um, uh, changing the whole world into an amusement park or a care center for the family. The family is the preeminent, becomes the preeminent unit. And if you're not a member of a family because you didn't get married and or you didn't create children, there's no place for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there used to be a marginal underground place for certain unmarried people, especially gay men, you know, where you can uh, go and do your thing. But the infrastructure left, it's so hard to structure your life 
in a way that sustains you when everybody else is a couple. Yeah. If you're a single person, there's there are no single person hotels. There are no convents. There's like there's nothing. There there used to be kind of um, alternatives, and now you have nowhere to go if you don't want to, or you can just sort of live your life uh, completely on your own and be entirely financially, uh, emotionally, uh, etc independent in a way that can drive a person crazy. But it can ruin your friendships, too. Like when I have like a close female friend or a close male friend that marries, <laughs> I have to accept the other person, but accept the other person in a very duplicitous way. They use it. So in other words, if you want to go to the movies with blah, blah, and she's your was your close friend, she'll say, I'll ask Jim if he wants to go. Jim, Jim I was not you. fucking invited. Right, but then they use it the opposite way. Sort of like, um, what is the opposite way? Um, Jim doesn't want me to go. And I have a friend who does that to me. Yeah, I have friends who aren't allowed to travel on their own. But they they also use the other one. Well, why are you speaking about both of us? Jim lets me do what I want. They just keep switching it. I know. To be the best, you know. Yeah. yeah. What were you saying? I'm sorry. Oh, no, just that I, I have women friends who aren't allowed to travel by themselves. Yeah, because I have one too. Would, would miss them too much. It would, yeah. It's it's because they would miss them too much. It's not that they're uh, controlling. It's not that um, they uh, the well, they dynamic. They might get laid. I think is what the man's thinking. Yeah, yeah. What, he's probably God right. Knows what be. But also, who's there to you know make my food and do my laundry? Which right. is still such a part of the heterosexual relationship, is the woman taking care of like a infantilized man. I myself am very good at, at creating tension between couples. I, I often do it. I, I play on the Oedipal Triangle, and I sort of like, you know, get the friend to get the other one angry. Or yeah. if it's my friend and she's doing that to me, I might flirt with the husband, and it freaks her out. I, I'm very good destroyer. at destabilizing uh, yeah. couples. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I accidentally broke up a relationship recently, so. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> do they both hate you now? Uh, not the man. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very sort of, um... Would you do sleep with the man? No, I didn't. I just sort of asked a lot of pointed questions. Oh, you... Until... You're not going to get any man that way, honey. Oh, I didn't want him. Um... But you wouldn't do that to a man you wanted. You oh would, no, no, I'm not. A man you wanted, I'm you not wouldn't. an idiot, right? Yeah. You know how to act appealing and dumb and passive, don't you? <laughs> Oddly, never worked for me. Uh, the, Are you the kidding? Dumb and passive? No. Not dumb, but receptive. Oh, I can do receptive. Yeah. Um, Feminine. Uh, in the old sense. Uh, yeah. We well, have very nice skin. Thanks. What were we talking about? Your skin. <laughs> right, marriage. Um, yeah, it's bad. That's what I have to say about that. Marriage is bad and it should be abolished. I agree. Um, but it's an incredibly still unpopular um, opinion to have, I think even more so than than Much anything. more so. Yeah. yeah I, okay, so there was the, um, the ban on... Uh, trans in the military yesterday. Yeah. And people seemed incapable of talking about it without somehow praising 
the military service. Oh, yeah. These France. are patriotic people sacrificing their lives to protect the country. How can you do that to them? Not, That's what that was. Not, not being able to sort of see it as uh, the military is evil. Yeah. Uh, and this is a... Um, Example of it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's that um, we should just be um, really supportive of trans who want to trans people who want to um, join the join the military because mm-hmm, they're heroic. Than, yes, rather than it, I mean it's obviously a complicated issue, but yeah. part of the conversation has to be um, the American military is evil. Yeah, but yeah, there's so little nuance in in the in looking at a com- at a at a issue or having a conversation about marriage, identity, anything. It's very hard-lined about what's yeah. acceptable to say and what's not acceptable to say. And so much of feminism is wrapped up in, yeah. in, in choice, but there are specific choices you're supposed to make, and one of those is to get married. I mean, you were talking about the kind of like social awkwardness that happens uh, when a friend gets married. When you're a, uh, a single woman uh, and your friend your female friend gets married. They've done studies about how married women try to isolate, socially isolate single women because they see them as threats. Oh, yeah. And married women turn on, like as soon as they get married, they turn on you in this weird way. Yeah. Um, The way I feel about it, if the husband's good looking, I'm angry because I can't get him. mm -hmm. And if the husband's ugly, I'm angry because I don't want to be around a person like that. I just always want to assure my married friends that their husbands are super boring and I absolutely do not want to. Be are them. they all? Yes. Yes. You've never been a homebreaker? She wasn't my friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I figured so. Every other podcast, I'm very sort of neutral and just asking questions. <laughs> I'm being, being very revealing on this one. Is this good? I like it. Okay. You should come back every week. I will. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we should uh, wrap up the conversation. Um, so, okay, so um, going back to the sort of original idea, of we've, we've Whatever wandered that was. <laughs> so far, so far from uh, the, the spinster films. Um, well, or grandmothers. Or grandmothers, or any sort of... The not sexually viable characters. Yes. Um, I do wonder, I do worry that we're, we're still in this mode of, like, of the sacred phallus. Um, of well, what's the, wrong with that? Nothing, that, but you should be allowed to reject the sacred phallus. Not everybody needs it. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, but in movies, like, everybody has to be, you know... I don't quite understand that. Okay. No, I'd like to, though. Oh. Well, just this idea that women are redeemed through love and acceptance. Ah, by the sacred sexual. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were talking about a dildo the whole time. Oh. That's that's what I call call my dildo is the sacred One that's been blessed and had special (laughs) oils poured on it. Okay. (laughs) The Pope has blessed my whole thing. Um, Yeah, but it does seem to be getting worse, and I I don't see a lot of... um, I don't see a lot of movement into making things more interesting. No, me either. Everything's getting worse and worse. Yeah. But I do think it's women's jobs to reject conformity and to reject the sacred phallus. I myself have taken Panglosses' uh, mm-hmm. advice from Candide. You know, mm-hmm. literally, I, I am cultivating mm-hmm. my garden. 
spending the entire summer in Syracuse expanding my garden. Yeah. I have a garden, too, but I only grow poison, so... Well, which hemlock and hemlock, foxglove, belladonna. Foxglove is so creepy. So beautiful, though. But it only comes every other year. It's biennial. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, that's a okay note to end on. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Forever dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm. For more podcasts, please visit foreverdogproductions.com.